0: Okay, uh, we've got a lot <laughs> happening, Crime and Justice Radio, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the great, uh, great show put on by the participants of the uh, great law firm, Barquette Epstein and Garnet City, talking Bruce Barquette, I had a license ring, going solo today is Mr. Barquette, with a bit of preview uh, for tonight, we're going to get into the fascinating case, Chris Parker, uh, but uh, he does join us alone today, Mr. Barquette, how are you, sir?
1: Good morning, Uh, Mr. Oliver. How are you? I'm doing well, my friend.
0: Uh, We'll get into the whole Porco situation. Lots of happening. Uh, I was uh, telling the audience a little bit about, you know, I saw that 2020 piece on the Idaho killings uh, and uh, a fascinating depiction of everything, you know, from the get-go of everything that occurred in uh, Moscow, Idaho, on that uh, dreadful morning of November thirteenth, where we are today, uh, including uh, that of waiving uh, uh, the speedy trial of Brian coburg or level plea somewhere, I guess in June. I don't know if you caught the twenty twenty piece, Bruce, but it is a just an, uh, obviously a, just a fascinating detail of what occurred here.
1: Yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a fascinating case. I would describe it as somewhat um, disturbing. Um, it, 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 from what we can gather so far, there doesn't seem to be any kind of obvious motive for what happened, and these individuals seem to have been targeted um, to satisfy some bizarre urge from this individual if, if he's in fact the killer. Um, we'll wait and see, but the, the the whole tone and feel of this case is um, disturbing because of its randomness because of its viciousness because of the number of people that were killed um because of its setting you know we we all have you know gone away to college or have kids that are going to go away to college and the, the horror of it is is really immense so
0: it really is um you know and you wonder if It was someone who was shunned as far as uh, an encounter was concerned, you know, a targeted uh, situation. Uh, Even to the uh, morning of that attack where this individual came in contact with uh, another roommate in that house, Uh, just an absolute uh, mind-boggling, you know, frightening. Frightening uh, situation in general over the last couple of months.
1: It certainly that that part of the case really really bothers me. I don't understand how somebody could see four in the morning and somebody sees someone you know kind of leaving with a mask and uh, a hood or whatever, and after hearing some noises and then just kind of locks themselves in the room and doesn't come out for eight hours. I mean, after the person leaves, how do you not? call your friends text your friends go check on your on your roommates just to say who the hell was the creep that just left um uh, that's a disturbing part of this i, I don't i don't um, disturbing answer, uh, that i don't get it that part that does not make any sense to me at all even if you take into account that people react differently under different circumstances and uh, that part i think is it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever <laughs>
0: really yeah. doesn't. You're right. Eight hours uh, going by from four in the morning till 12 noon when, you know, the call came into police. Um, Very strange. As somebody of your ilk, you know, when you have this amount of what is uh, perceived to be a mountain of evidence, Bruce, uh, against an individual, um, there are certain things to protect uh, everything involved in this case, so that it doesn't go awry as far as the other direction. Correct? Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff from a legal sense that could turn around a case of this magnitude when you think it is going one way, right?
1: Well, look, we don't we don't have uh, an understanding. We don't have any knowledge of what um, this the defendants perspective is in terms of what he's going to set, right? So what's he telling his lawyers right now? So if I'm his lawyer, I'm saying, to him, um, look, they have your GPS, uh, your phone in that area at odd hours of the night over a long period of time, a no dozen or so incidents. What were you doing there? What were you doing there? Right? I just like to drive around at night. Uh, there's a really cool spot to hang. I mean, I know whatever he says, right? So we don't know what that is. At what were you, where were you going that night? off. All those, all those questions concerning um, his movement, and we just don't know. And we'll, we'll see. So if I'm his lawyer, after I get those answers, I try to corroborate what he's saying, and we also try to explain away the individual circumstances. Uh, circumstantial evidence cases are difficult to defend, much more difficult to defend than direct evidence. If you have an eyewitness that says, you know, your client did it, you can attack the eyewitness's uh, credibility, you can attack the eyewitness's accuracy. You might be certain this person did it, but you're not, you, you might be wrong. Uh, but when you have a circumstantial evidence case, no single piece of evidence is critical like that. There's a, a series of facts that, that are somewhat innocuous, that when put together, lead inexorably to the conclusion that the defendant committed the crime. So when you're defending that case, you literally have to take apart each of the circumstances, each individual fact, right? Uh, the bushy eyebrows, the height and weight, the location, the phone being off, uh, the, the DNA, uh, which I think is going to end up uh, coming back probably to him. We'll see. I don't know if that's been reported yet. Or those tests have been concluded, but the, all they had so far was the uh, familiar, the father. You know, somebody from the father's DNA, and it'll, it'll, it'll. They'll do further testing of this and more items. They're going to have his DNA to be able to compare it to, um, and they will make those matches if, if the matches are to be made. And we'll see. We'll see where it goes. It certainly seems like he was involved, but being thrown out why, uh, that, into a neighbor's that's, that's why they play the game. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the DNA. What we what we were talking about was the, you know, the surveillance of this guy throwing out garbage in the wee hours, not using his own pail but a neighbor's pail. Right. I mean, right. this is all type of stuff, right?
1: Yeah. No. Each each of these individual facts are, are what's going to build a you know brick by brick a wall that's going to keep him in prison for the rest of his life. It's not have him sentenced to death.
0: Uh, no question about it. So uh, we'll see how everything kind of uh, transpires uh, and everything else, even to the sheath of the knife, the cover of the knife, the button, the DNA, the print. Uh, you know, it's just a very eerie situation, especially an individual who is, you know, looking for his Ph.D. in criminology. And and the other question is, you know, so many mistakes, my goodness. Um, but when you have somebody of this nature from a mental standpoint, you know, how could anything make sense, you know, in essence? But, you know, that's the other fact. And that's the other thing, too, to think about.
1: Uh, well, once you've established that an individual committed the crime, then who, why he did it, it becomes uh, an object of curiosity, but not necessity for the prosecution to prove. Yeah,
0: and that's what it's all about, too. I guess the other. Uh, case at this point in time is what's happening in the state of Massachusetts. Uh, Bruce Paquette and this Walsh case, which is another, you know, just another crazy case regarding uh, Brian Walsh. You know, the latest thing where, you know, you had this wrinkled sheet of white paper covered in at least a dozen handwritten notes. Uh, really kind of heaping praise on Brian Walsh, including from at least one participant, some sort of a life coaching group that he attended at the family's home in Cohasset, Massachusetts. I mean, this is a very, very strange case uh, over this uh, individual and his wife uh, who has gone missing and everything else culminated with the processing of this guy over the last couple of days. But this is another strange one that has captured the country.
1: Well, as well as, you know, understandably, and this rings a little bit of a bell with our firm. We represented an individual a few years ago who was accused of killing his wife. His wife disappeared um, and was never found again. To this day, hasn't been found, and he was prosecuted for that. Ultimately, he was exonerated. Um, So it's similar to... That case is similar to the case in Connecticut, if you recall, from a few years ago. Um, my wife disappeared. She still hasn't been found. The husband, or estranged husband, was charged and ended up killing himself. Um, so the, his girlfriend, or fiancé, is still facing trial. Now we have this case in Massachusetts <clears throat> where the individual, the woman, has disappeared. And it certainly doesn't seem like um, she just went on a, on a long, extended vacation, unfortunately. Ah, uh, the the circumstances of the, this. There's blood in the house, blood on a a knife or a saw. Uh, he he's on a GPS tracking device because he's on release from a federal fraud charge, and he's not supposed to leave his house. He leaves his house anyway, goes to Home Depot and buys four hundred dollars worth of cleaning supplies. There's Google searches. Uh, indicating he was trying to figure out how to dispose of a 115 pound woman searches on how to dismember an individual. Uh, These are all really, I mean, what are the innocent explanations for that? And those are all, again, circumstantial case. There's no direct proof that he did this, Uh, but each of those facts taken together uh, tend to lead to a, um, a conclusion that that he was involved in her, her murder. Um, It's a, interesting case because we don't know what happened to her. We don't know exactly where or how she was killed or how, what he did with her. And we'll see. My guess in that case, we can kind of put a little pin in this is he'll admit uh, at some point having killed her and claim that it was, the it wasn't an intentional murder. That it was some kind of accident and that he panicked and then went about trying to dispose of her body. That's a, I think that's what we'll be left with that in that particular instance, but we'll have to wait and see, as, as with many of these cases.
0: No question, no question. Bruce Barquette with us, Crime and Justice Radio, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is a great show every Monday night at six. Now tonight, uh, with Bruce and Ida Lysmering, uh, we'll discuss the Chris Porco case uh, from Albany. And I was reading, Bruce. You were telling me your office actually filed a motion to vacate. The conviction, which was what, 2004, very big case, folks, uh, in the Capital region in Albany. This was a guy who was convicted uh, of second degree murder, second degree attempted murder, only connection with the murder of his father, Peter. Uh, so a, a tremendous case from way back. Uh, a very interesting case, Bruce, on this thing.
1: And Aida is going to be on the show tonight, although she couldn't make the call on this morning. Yeah, um, and we're going to talk to Danielle Muscatello, who is the lead attorney in, in this case now. Um, this Peter uh, Porco was a law clerk in the Third Department, uh, Pellet Division, and a very well respected and well liked lawyer. Uh, this is, from what we can gather, the biggest case in the Capital Region ever. Uh, it gripped the community so big that the venue was changed, and he was actually tried in Orange County down in Albany. Um, and Danielle, through years of hard work, has uncovered a significant amount of evidence that this person was wrongly convicted. And that the facts of it are that he, his father was brutally murdered and his mother attacked in the wee hours of uh, mourning. And he claims he was in Rochester, not not in Albany, but in Rochester the whole time where he was attending college. His mother survived but has no memory of the event. Hmm. Still, she's certain he did not commit the crime and has stood behind him uh, all along through the trial and to this point is completely supportive of the work that we're doing. Uh, So um, we'll see how this develops. Danielle's done an unbelievable job. As you know, our firm does a lot of uh, wrongful conviction work. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the Marty Tancliffe case from, uh, you know, 30 years ago here on one island, where a young man was accused of murdering his parents. Uh, he was demonized, convicted, and ultimately exonerated. And uh, sneaking suspicion. The same thing's going to happen with Mr. Porco.
0: And that was the thing I was thinking of, the Tancliffe case. Um, because when you think well, about Marty, it,
1: yeah. Marty's a lawyer in our office, and he's done some work on this case. So we'll, we'll see how it turns it's a, out. Fa-
0: it's a fascinating case. And, folks, you can Google the Porco case here. Because the defense attorney in the case emphasized that the police department really had no physical evidence linking Christopher Porco to the attack on his parents. I mean, there were no fingerprints recovered from the axe. Which had been previously stored in the garage, found at the scene of the crime. So, very interesting case, uh, without question. Um, and you had mentioned Marty works as an attorney within the uh, within the firm. Uh, so, that was one of the first things I thought of when I was reading about this over the weekend, you know. Uh, the correlation involved there. This was a trial, folks, that began, was what, 2006, right? And it was held... In another area, because of the media coverage in the Albany area, they had to shift the trial, right?
1: It, yeah, exactly. It was—I uh, think he was convicted in 2004. I think—I I believe that was the day of the conviction. And he, uh, yeah, they—they they tried him in Orange County. I'm, look, I'm not a media expert, but I'm not so sure that Orange County was far enough away from Albany to uh, be a different media market. But I, I suppose it was. I mean, that's where they, they moved it from Albany down to Orange County. Uh, maybe Orange County is in the New York uh, City media market, not the Albany market. Um, but it really is fascinating. For us, it's, again, we, we we the car dealer uh, who was accused of murdering his wife that we spoke about just a few minutes ago, we actually ended up trying that case, not in Tioga, which is where the uh, crime allegedly took place, on the southern tier west of Binghamton, but we tried it in Schoharie, which is a bedroom community to Albany, just outside of Albany. So we've been up there quite a bit. We have a few other cases up in that area, Um, and the the reaction from the prosecution and the police and, unfortunately, his trial attorney has been brutal. They are kind of a fury of uh, of responses to um, our motion papers, which are 250 pages, detailed evidence. We have a a medical examiner that puts the time of death uh, at a point where Chris could not have committed the crime. We have DNA experts that refute the really ridiculous DNA evidence that uh, they found a a toll ticket. Remember how you used to get tickets on the throughway before we had all these scanning? And you'd have to kind of punch it in and then give it to somebody and they'd charge you a fee. They said they found Chris's DNA on, or DNA that couldn't be excluded as Chris on a toll uh, ticket. Um, and we kind of, Danielle went through each of these things and mischewed them, mounted new evidence, um, and Mr. Porco, who never testifies, he never spoke before, spoke publicly for the first time earlier this week. It really is a, look, if this case was in the in New York area, it would be headline news across the country just because of the nature of it. It's going to be a big case even coming out of Albany.
0: Fascinating. We're going to hear more about it tonight on the show. Crime and Justice Radio, ladies and gentlemen, it's every Monday night uh, at 6 o'clock, 6 to 7. Crime and Justice Radio from the great Bruce Barkett on our life's ring from the fantastic firm of Barkett Epstein. We await tonight very interesting conversations. We look forward to that, my friend. Thanks so much for coming in today.
1: Thank you. Uh, Happy Martin Luther King Day to everybody. Good day to take a moment to remember uh, why we all don't have to go to work. Um, At least not most of us don't have to go to work just today. Have a good day, Jay. We'll talk to you later.
0: All right, my friend.